Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and today we're talking about therapy for therapists and traversing over to the other side of the room, sitting on the couch and looking back, looking within yourself. <laughs> That seems very philosophical. Traversing across the room and looking within yourself. Uh, I will fully claim I have been in therapy for, I don't even know how many years at this point with the same therapist continuously. And I think for me, it has been a lifesaver. My therapist has helped me move from being a burned out community mental health director to being an entrepreneur and getting through all of the things that are included in that, as well as being a trauma therapist and managing my vicarious trauma and all of the different dynamics around being a therapist. And I don't know what I would do without it. And I've had great experiences in therapy and I've had periods where I haven't been in therapy and I've had some not wonderful experiences in therapy. And I think that a lot of those different experiences have made me a better therapist because of things that I've gotten either out of those relationships or recognize times when I do need to seek out other help or seek out ways of looking back at myself. But I don't feel the constant need to be in therapy all the time myself either. Mm -hmm. And today's episode, we're going to hit on a bunch of different things about therapists and being in therapy. But I think that maybe one of the things to start at in the beginning is how do we go about finding therapists for ourselves? For me, I was actually still working in community mental health. I was a hiring manager and I knew a lot of private practitioners would be going into uh, potentially going back into trying to find a job in community mental health. So I purposely sought out somebody who was very established so I wouldn't have to tell my therapist that I couldn't hire her. <laughs> <laughs> and so I found somebody who is actually now fairly local to me, but was a little bit further away and who was very established. But I know that my experience was very different. I think a lot of people w contact me and say, I need a therapist. Who should I go to? You know, everybody. And it's like, if I were to look for a therapist now, I'd have a really hard time because I'm, I network so much. I know so many people. Right. And I have kind of that same concern of I'm well established in my community. I'm fairly well known within the local therapist community here. If somebody's good enough to be my therapist, I kind of want to be their colleague <laughs> more than I want to be their patient. No, I'm with you. I, I exactly agree with that. And it would be really hard because the therapist who I have now, we're actually, in some ways, we 
we navigate the dual relationship of being in the same community, being colleagues who have offices that are actually not super far from each other. But I don't know if I would have chosen her had I already been established in the community. I didn't know her when I signed on as her client bazillion years ago. So it is hard. And I think it's something where finding someone that you can respect as your therapist, who's going to be a good enough therapist for you, who, for whatever reason, you can avoid being a colleague with can be a challenge. How have you gone about finding therapists in the past? Like, what is what has your process been? Because you you've been in and out of therapy versus I'm like I've had two therapists in my life and they both were longstanding. So, <laughs> well, I mean, my my very first therapist was I was I don't know about twelve years old. So it was who my parents took mm-hmm, me to. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a whole lot of say in that one. My most recent experience is was really largely after the the cycling accident mm-hmm. that I was in a few years ago. And just in trying to handle some stuff there, I wanted some very specific strategies to be able to get back into the lifestyle that I was before, being able to get back and riding my bike. So I I actually just sought out somebody to help me work through some very specific issues related to my accident. And I was largely unhappy with it because the person that I sought out did not offer me anything that I didn't already know as a therapist, mm. as far as, and part of this was maybe I should have looked at maybe a, a less CBT approach because at the time that's really where I was working. And so even being able to reflect back on myself in ways that I was already working, I kept running into obstacles. When that didn't work, I kind of felt you know, oh, this is kind of that stigma that some clients that don't really want to keep shopping for therapists, this is what they run into. And it was a very hard place for me to want to jump to another therapist. Mm -hmm. And because once you do build those therapeutic relationships, then you're starting completely over. At least that's that nagging voice in the back of your head of, you know, think of if you're in your own therapy right now, how willing are you to go and start something over with somebody else? I'm not willing at all. I think it it's so hard to to start again. We'll probably refer back to that statement in a future episode as far as really how we serve our clients and what their experiences of therapy are and why it's not just as easy for clients to jump from therapist to therapist until they find something good. Really, my next experience with therapy after that was when I volunteered to be a client at an EMDR training and had a phenomenal EMDR experience with that. And then just kind of rolled with that, which is, you know, EMDR lingo, just go with that. (laughs) And, but that's really what turned me onto EMDR is that I had such a deeper experience in a new technique and a new way that was able to help me access stuff that I wasn't able to access before. And, you know, there's a lot to be said about the the choices that I've made about therapy. Not all of them have been smart or the best ones, but I don't have a magic formula as far as how to go about finding a therapist necessarily for myself where I'm established now. But going back to being able to talk to me as a early career person, I, I would say that it's somebody that I would want to develop a long-term mentorship relationship with somebody who can figure out and help me figure out what my needs are. And I think that one of my biggest mistakes is that even though I thought I knew that I had a specific problem and I knew the specific way that I wanted to be treated, 
I was wrong. Yeah, I think what I'm hearing is that when you sought something out with somebody who was about the same skill level as you, you were pretty dissatisfied and you were using, you were trying to to diagnose yourself and what you needed, which I think we can to a certain extent. But I think you found a lot of benefit from EMDR when you were an EMDR newbie. I think it's that per- finding that person who's further along than you are can be really important when you're seeking therapy as a, as a newer therapist. And it's not necessarily hard when you're a brand new therapist to find somebody who's further along, but you want to find somebody who's very skilled, who potentially is further along than you, who has more knowledge than you, who has more skill than you. And this is kind of what we were talking about in getting supervision, right? Like it's finding that person that can give you what you need and not just kind of settling for the first person that you find or the first person that, that, you know, is on your insurance or whatever. I mean, as therapists, we have bigger needs than kind of typical clients because we can be the hardest clients. We can, we can be assessing our therapists and their skill set. We can be in com- competition. That's actually a com- conversation my therapist and I have had. She said she, it's such a relief that I'm not in competition with her because other therapists she's worked with, you know, as clients have had that where they're constantly giving feedback to their therapist on, you know, you didn't do this right, you didn't do that right. I think we can be really not served well if we don't pull out of the therapist role when we walk into the therapy room and if we don't fully embody the client role. And I think it's hard to fully embody the client role if you have a therapist who is not at not as good or not better than you are in some way, whether it's they're further along in their training or they have better skills or something. I think it's really important to find somebody who is really skilled to be a therapist for you when you are one. Overall, my message is definitely like therapy is good and it's good to reflect on yourself and to know your mannerisms and know how you come across to other people and to be able to explore reflexivity from the patient end. That being said is that in seeking out a therapist from very early on in your career that you might not understand the practical delivery of different theories from who you're receiving treatment from. And I think that where my mistake was is that it was a style of therapy and it was a delivery of therapy that didn't foster anything beyond what I was asking for. And I didn't either verbalize that to the therapist that I was working with. In fact, you know, here's talking about stigma. I didn't even tell my wife that I was in therapy at the time. So, and that was partially, you know, some personal stuff that was going on in our lives at the time. She was pregnant. I wanted to not burden her with even more of everything else that had happened because of my accident. But then when it didn't turn out well, it kind of put me into an even deeper funk about my entire situation. So I would say that unless you really do have something specific that you're working on, you feel confident enough to be able to speak up to your therapist that you're really going to want to walk that line of a relational approach that is able to veer off to address things as they come up. And there's research that that does support this. And this kind of ties into these programs that mandate that you need a certain number of therapy hours before you graduate. And the research into it suggests that, okay, that's kind of unethical in the first place of mandating therapy. And second, that it's not actually as effective when you're forcing people into therapy when they don't necessarily want to go. 
I understand what you're saying. I think that for me, I found a therapist in my life when I was stressed out or my first therapist, I wasn't required by my grad school to get therapy. And I actually was kind of disappointed it wasn't required because I hadn't been in therapy before I decided to become a therapist. And I felt like it would be important to do it. And stigma said that I shouldn't do it. But I just kind of then forced myself to do it so that I could understand what it would be like as a client. But I think I've, I chose both times to go into therapy and I think that felt empowering, but I don't think therapists really can be fully successful therapists if they've not been a client. That's my opinion. And I think, yes, maybe the mechanism to get grad students into therapy walks a line that you don't like, but I think it is important that that's one of the standards of becoming a therapist is that you have been a therapy client. Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Most people who do go through, and this is most being, I think it's about 75% is what the article cites, and we'll post that in the show notes, but Most people get something out of therapy. It's the people who are forced into therapy who don't want to be there that aren't going to necessarily have the most positive experiences of it. And they're the ones who are going to feel the least likely to be able to speak up to their therapist about what they're feeling and what it's bringing up for them. And there's a certain amount of shame that that then brings up in the therapist. If at best that we're looking at a neutral condition where somebody does not go to therapy and we consider them a baseline. I agree with you that the people who do go willingly to therapy are probably going to be better therapists. The people who are forced into therapy, though, are likely going to be made to be worse therapists because they're forced into when they don't want to go. Well, I guess I don't understand why they wouldn't want to go. I understand your your reasoning, and I do agree that if somebody doesn't want to go to therapy, you shouldn't force them into it. But why would you want to be a therapist if you would refuse to go to therapy? There's always, I find there's always use for therapy. You can always find personal growth. Certainly being in grad school, facing the idea of becoming a therapist, there's a lot to work on that's not deep, dark secrets or trauma. Like you can just work on the developmental stage you're in. Why would somebody feel forced and, and uncomfortable with going to therapy? I don't get it. Well, and this is why would anybody not want to go to therapy? There's shame, there's cultural ideas around mental illness. And even if you're going just for personal growth, there's still an idea that, yeah, as professionals, we should address not furthering those shame and that stigma around being in therapy. But there's plenty of people who want to be a CBT therapist that 
it's not necessarily like they're like, oh, yeah, I've got all these horrible schemas that need to be addressed. But if you are a looking at being a very practical oriented a behaviorist, even you don't need to go to behavioral therapy to be a behavioral therapist. I don't agree. I think that if you're going to be a therapist, regardless of your your treatment orientation, that you should be in therapy. But the one of the pieces that you said about shame, that's something where being where that being a mandated part of your training, that part of your training is that you go to therapy, I believe decreases the shame. I felt more shame in choosing to go to therapy than if I would have had it be a required part of my grad school. It was something where this is part of my training. And I actually, I think I use that excuse, even though it wasn't true. I said, yeah, I'm in therapy. I'm, a, I'm training to become a therapist. <laughs> and it's part of my program. I, I get what you're saying. I understand that people don't necessarily want to go and dig up their stuff. But if you, it's kind of like if you're daring to do that for someone else, why would you not be willing to take your own medicine? <laughs> why would you not be willing to to step in there? I think that that's it's it needs to be a, a minimum competency of knowing what it's like to be a therapy client. And again, I want to clarify that I'm talking about people who are forced into therapy, which goes against our ideas of do no harm. Mm -hmm. That if this is something that's going to create anguish in a client, that should not be a requirement. This is not to say that going to therapy doesn't have tons of benefits. And most of us who've been in therapy and have experienced all of the reflections onto ourselves to be able to identify our more authentic selves, those are wonderful things that make us better therapists. But for people who don't want to go for whatever reason it may be, it might be cost related. I mean, I know that some of the poorest time in my life was while I was going to grad school. Do I have another $100 a week to shell out to be in therapy? Probably not. But there's a number of reasons to not want to go that if I'm going to take the other side of this, going and having all the touchy feely things while I'm stressed out and, you know, trying to accrue all of my hours in order to graduate on time and driving all across the city to, you know, get to my therapist, get to supervision, that seems in some ways for some people counterproductive towards the actual self-care that they could be doing and the number of ways that we would want our own clients to be as experienced therapists. I see your points. I think the piece that I'm pushing back on is that they're being forced because in truth, and of course, probably it's different program by program, they are signing up for a program. And part of that program is that they will be in personal therapy. And it, oftentimes it's for six sessions, eight sessions. When it's required for your program, when you sign up, you're not being forced, you're opting in. I can see that in places where there's a number of different grad programs where you have choices. But if you're in a somewhat rural area where there's a therapist school, not multiple schools to go to, then you might not have that option and that flexibility. I get that. And we probably should finish this debate because I think I'm I'm ready to go into saying, well, I'm forced to go to law and ethics and I don't want to. And that probably makes me a less effective therapist. And that's just not relevant because everybody's going to want to come to our law and ethics training <laughs> in May. So, so I don't want to put that, that argument in. But I think it's something where clearly we both agree that therapists who go to therapy, it's, it's important for us to do that because of how it in training, it's how we can learn what it's like to be on the client end. And I think later on, I think there's other things that are important. And I'll mention that in a minute. But I think we also agree that it's much better if somebody's not forced, because then you're actively engaging in the process. I think we just agree, disagree on whether or not grad school should require it. 
Yes, that's the part that we disagree. All right, all right, fair enough. So, so other reasons why therapists later in their career might want to go into to therapy, and I mentioned a couple when we first started, but I think in truth, especially those folks who are con- consistently interacting with trauma. I know for me, processing triggers that come up in the therapy session, I know that making sure that I am using that hour every week for self-care because of, of being able to try to avoid compassion fatigue and, and trying to avoid vicarious trauma, I think for me, that has been the most important piece for me as far as on the therapy side, on me being a therapist and, and me being in therapy. That's been critical for me. I've, I've talked with my therapist about decreasing and I've found at those times, <laughs> you know, that, that that's when my clinical caseload feels a little bit more overwhelming. That's when I feel like I need to process the stresses of being an entrepreneur and a private practitioner. So I think for me, those are some other really strong reasons to to be in therapy as a therapist. There's lots of opportunities to really be able to have, ideally, somebody who doesn't know you, but it just kind of in thinking back to who I would seek out for therapy now, I'll, I'll hit this point and then I'll come back to what you're talking about, hopefully, <laughs> uh, is if the, the people that I would have looked up to when I was first getting involved in grad school in the networking events, the people who were well-established then, that's probably who I would recommend to younger version of me, go go be their mm-hmm. client. They're probably still the same people that I would reach out to now, even though I might be closer to colleagues with them now, or having some of those dual relationships that I would be willing to navigate just because partially that they know me in a professional sort of way, but also they're people that I trust. So back to your point of what we would seek out now is, you know, there, there is uh, a lot of the benefits. And I think that part of the line that maybe I feel confident in not necessarily continuing to seek out therapy now is the types of things that we recommend to our clients in self-care is that in general, most of my friends now are therapists. So there's kind of the walking, talking therapy that goes along with just kind of like the, hey, I'm kind of bothered by this thing that come up. I might be rather vague about it and talking with them, but these are the social relationships that we would recommend. When I take care of myself by exercising, it's you know the kinds of stuff to deal with depression that our science suggests that we recommend to our clients. It's kind of a first line sort of thing anyway, that there, there's a bunch of self-care that we can do. And yes, if it is impacting you, or it's impacting me, then I'm going to go out and seek that extra help. Yeah, I think that's what I was going to just say is that I don't necessarily recommend that everybody stays consistently in therapy like I do. I find it very valuable to me, but I agree. I think being able to do that self-assessment, to be aware of when it is important to seek more than consultation or, or support from your friends or whatever, I think it, it is important to recognize that. And for me, the reason why I claim it, the reason why I'm so happy to be in therapy is that I really want to decrease the stigma of therapists getting therapy because I think so often, like your experience, people don't don't claim it. I think another thing just to kind of kind of go a little bit over is that my therapist is in my community and we talked a little bit about dual relationships, but stigma says I've, I don't tell many people who my therapist is. I say, I have a therapist. Uh, she and I talk about how the dual relationships might come up. There's a lot of different things that can happen, but I think being a therapist in therapy, I think you do have to be comfortable in having that conversation because you may see them in the community unless you drive an hour to go see your therapist, you know, like it's, it's something 
unless you really choose to have a therapist outside of your community, you're going to see them potentially at local networking events, or you may refer clients to them. They may refer clients to you. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that can happen as a therapist in therapy. And I think I don't have specific pieces of advice, but I do know for myself, my therapist and I have talked about it a lot and we have cross-referred, we have seen each other at local events and it can be individual based on your relationship with your therapist. But I think those things need to be discussed because your therapeutic relationship is as important as any other client. Right. And this goes back to our ethics code surrounding dual relationships and that dual relationships aren't inherently wrong. Yeah. It's just that when it does get in the way of the client. And so, and I'm a big fan of let's make what's implicit explicit and being able to talk around those dual relationships when they do exist. And especially when that's going to cross over into your professional lives and this kinds of stuff. So yeah, I totally agree that that is something that can come up. It probably will come up unless you're willing to go way out of your way. And you might have your own reasons for doing that. I know for me, Los Angeles traffic, I'm probably not going to want to look much further than I absolutely have to. So that way I'm spending as least amount of time on the freeways here as possible. Yeah. And I think you have a lot of therapists in your building. The likelihood that you would have a therapist you would choose therapy with a therapist in your building is probably small. But I think people shouldn't completely rule out folks that they know kind of professionally, because I think there can be some great therapists. And if you are able to navigate the relationship, the dual relationship, the history that may have they may know about you or that you may know about them, if you're able to navigate through that, I think you can still have a really rich therapeutic relationship, but you have to make that assessment yourself. But I've had too many people who are therapists in my community who kind of give up looking for a therapist because we're like, well, I might see them in a networking meeting. And it's like, so... <laughs> you know, deal with it. Or, you know, well, I've heard about, I've heard of them or I've seen them on Facebook or, you know, whatever. And it's like, I get that there can be a little bit of, of nervousness around that, but really sorting through if the need is big and the person's really skilled, maybe even just reaching out for that initial consultation to get started so that you can actually start getting the help you need because it impacts your clients if you need therapy and you're not getting it. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. When you are seeking out the services, look at what kinds of responses that you're gravitating towards. That if you're finding that therapists aren't necessarily calling you back, which is an entire episode that we need to cover. That's a whole other episode, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, think of how that reflects onto your practice in clients calling you. If you're wanting people to lower their fees, why? Like, I mean, yep. if, you're, if you're not respecting the areas surrounding what therapy should be and kind of the boundaries that you want to hold yourselves look at what your reactions are as the patient in these situations, because that's some of the stuff that you're going to need to work through in looking at yourself and that self-assessment of really being honest with yourself that that more experienced therapist is going to help you do. And I think that this is an area where in, in Gift of Therapy, Yellum talks about bringing people further than he's gone. And I that's the one part of that book that I don't necessarily completely agree with him on is that 
in some ways you can, but you have to have that ownership of yourself of knowing when you've hit your limits. I think as a therapist, I have taken people further than I have in some places because I they have different strengths and I understand my weaknesses. And I, and I agree with you. I think when you're looking for a therapist to take you further, you want to assess are they self-aware? Does it seem like they're authentic and they're going to be with you in the relationship where they don't necessarily need to know all the answers? I think, you know, hearkening back to your therapist that was a CBT therapist, that comes from more of an expert place, the CBT therapist versus someone who can really sit with you and be in the process with you or who truly is an expert like an EMDR. Like you want to find somebody that's going to know more than you or know how to help you access more. <laughs> you know, you don't want somebody that's just going to give you tips because you know them. You know, I found a therapist that could help me figure out why I wasn't using those tips versus somebody that could just give me more tips on how to take care of myself. I think that this is really part of, you know, if you've got that mentor that you can readily jump into being a patient in their practice, legally, ethically, all that kind of stuff, then great, go and do that. If you are seeking out a new therapist, this is really where give yourself the permission to go out and interview several therapists and look at what their profiles say in the online directories. Go back and listen to our bad marketing episode and <laughs> see just kind of the people who don't have that right sort of feel for what you're looking for. But at the end of the day, it's who you're going to feel comfortable with and it's who you feel that you're going to get the most help from. And I think that that expectation is actually supported by evidence of what makes therapy work is that the people that you're going to expect to do well with, you probably are. Mm -hmm. And the people that you want to work with, are you're generally going to find some results. And if they're good, then they're also going to be able to point out where their limitations are and being able to help you move forward. I agree. I think it's it's something where I know when I was looking for my current therapist, that was what I was looking for. Somebody who presented well in their online profile, who I got a connection with when I was talking on the phone with her, and who really seemed to have a groundedness and an awareness of what she was able to accomplish. And she continues to grow as I continue to grow. And so it still continues to work, which is very awesome you know, having a longstanding therapy relationship, there's shorthands that can happen in, you know, her calling me on my stuff. But I think it's, it's something where this is an important process and finding the right person to, to walk you through this, if it's a short term walking you through a specific thing, or if it's a longer term, you know, kind of joining you on your life journey as a therapist, like my therapist is, I think it's important that you find the right person and that you don't just sit down in the chair and say, okay, now I'm in therapy. It's important that you pick the right person. It's important that you interview, investigate, whether it's a phone consultation or actually scheduling and paying for an initial appointment to see if it's the right match. And I think the flip side of this is having been a therapist for other therapists, that that shorthand is phenomenal in a lot of ways. It's it's helpful in some of the shortcuts. I'm such a firm believer in, especially early in your career of getting help, that in my practice, I provide a really steep discount for pre-licensed therapists to come and see me. So do I. I have definitely grown a lot from early in my career in providing therapy to pre-licensed therapists to where I'm at now. And part of this is more experience in the room. Part of this is more experience in the field. But you know, I think that there's a lot of therapists that are very eager to work with other therapists because we tend to be easier clients. 
that doesn't necessarily mean that they're good or good for you. And I think that that's something that you need to be aware of when you're interviewing and looking for somebody to do what could be on and off long-term work. It could be long-term work altogether. If it's even just kind of the mandatory thing that you're having to do for your graduate program, that I think that the key is be comfortable going into the relationship and have the respect for the profession, the respect for yourself to be able to speak up when you do feel that things aren't going well. Yeah. And I think because most likely you're paying for it. I mean, I think although we provide steep discounts, people will still be paying us for our services as therapists, but you are paying for it. And regardless of where you are developmentally in your career, going into therapy, because you're a therapist, this is part of your training. This is part of your deliberate practice. This is as important for you to be selective and thoughtful in your choice as your grad program or your continuing education or any of those things. This is this can be a really important part of your training. And so if you choose unwisely, you might absorb bad habits. You might absorb um, some negative things and you don't want to do that. This kind of fits into all of the the broadness that we bring into the issues that we talk about on this podcast and kind of naturally segues into our discussion about the Therapy Reimagined conference that we have coming up at the end of the year is that we are ourselves Mm -hmm. and we are ultimately what we're selling to our clients. What we are bringing as the intervention to the client really does come from each of us. And it's being aware of how that is, not just through our personal therapy, through the deliberate practice that we've talked about in in our episodes on being better therapists, but it's really having that ownership of yourself that makes us really effective. We can be very technical. We can follow interventions very, very well, but it's the style in which we deliver them. And it's the ownership of that style that really separates one of us from the other. And so if you want to know more about the conference, check out our website, mtsgpodcast.com. We're going to put a bunch of stuff in the show notes that we've mentioned throughout this episode. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code modern gets you two free months.